Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us through your word, that, uh, Lord God, that you would communicate information to us to change us. And Lord God, we realise uh, we are not where we want to be with you. And Lord God, we want to move in to things of you. Uh, Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Excellent. So uh, put your hand up, both virtually and in real life uh, uh, here. If this week you've been on the television, um, watched the television rather than starred on it, uh, uh, gone onto the internet, uh, gone onto your smartphone for something or other, or played video games this week. Put your hand up if you've been on the digital screen. Excellent. Yeah, that's everyone. Some even are doing it right now as they uh, sort of comment on YouTube or uh, uh, try and keep their kids happy. Um, keep your hand up if you've done it every day of the week. So every day uh, for the past week you have uh, enjoyed a screen of one sort or another. Excellent. Very honest. Please put your uh, hands down. Um, the money and the talent and the technology are at incredible levels. Uh, I'm in my mid-40s and I've seen the, the rate and quality uh, just improve dramatically from when uh, you had to sort of get the area right above your TV um, and it was in free channels and if you went down to your grandparents they had like a black and white telly. Um, and so it's incredible the, the, the change and the, the, the pace of improvement. Uh, only last week I bought a, a games console uh, for my kids um, and uh, I was worried, you know, we're going to go, perhaps go into second lockdown, the winter's coming, all sorts of things uh, might happen and I uh, just wanted to get them something uh, to entertain them that was new. And uh, I bought this and then I went online and for the princely sum of one pound we joined this subscription where we had uh, unlimited access to over a hundred games. Now these games weren't like the games when I had when I was a kid where it was basically Pong or some sort of bat and ball program. But here these multi-million pound adventures that took years and years to develop where you have screenwriters and uh, masters of photography and just all these experts piling in and for a pound I got access to over a hundred of these games. Most of them weren't suitable, so we haven't actually enjoyed them, but nevertheless, the capacity to watch it uh, was there. In the early 19th century, there was this secret group of uh, workers. They were sort of uh, uh, pulled together by uh, this oath that they took together. Um, and they used to meet in the north of England, um, and they used to meet at night on the moors. And apparently they used to practice um, military manoeuvres. So it was like kind of like a, a secret illegal boys brigade um, out on the north of England. Um, and these guys in the 19th century were known as the Luddites. Perhaps you've heard the term before. They were named after this working class guy. Um, I've tried to research him. It sounds like he was a bit of a myth, but there was a guy uh, called Ned Ludd, um, and it sounds like he, he uh, had a tantrum in a um, 
in a factory and sort of destroyed a bit of machinery and went off in a huff. I couldn't sort of get any closer um, as to what happened. But uh, because of his sort of destruction of these machineries, these, uh, these guides uh, took on the name of, of Luddites. And basically these guys were skilled weavers. They were craftsmen. They were experts in their trade. And they saw the introduction of machines into their profession and they saw uh, the profession get sort of destroyed. The working conditions were wrecked, people were made to work in like inhospitable environments and like um, it meant that uh, people were brought in that just had to press a button rather than become a craftsman and invest their work in love and skill. And so what they would do, they would come in and they would destroy the machinery involved in textiles because it was uh, uh, destroying their livelihood and destroying the humanity of their trade. And this term Luddite keeps going. Like mostly now, it's a pejorative term, it's a negative term. Oh, you Luddite, you don't know how to work your mobile phone. Oh, you Luddite, you don't know uh, uh, how to uh, go onto Facebook or something like that. Um, and it's often sort of uh, uh, pointed at the uh, older generations who are quite understandably bemused by all the technology. Um, and they, they see things going on that they object to. And they fear the consequences of the technology. You know, technology just sort of outpaces our ability to understand it. And the natural reaction is fear. Now, I happily uh, wonder at this new age of entertainment. Every time uh, uh, new technology comes out, I just, uh, just are amazed uh, positively at what is going on. But, this morning I am convinced that being slightly Luddite is okay. Um, this media barrage that we're subjected to, just this overwhelming amount of information and images has negative side effects. Now I had, was going to bring to you this morning various scientific studies to prove my point. How uh, being immersed in TV and some of the other things is not good for your mental health. How it destroys sleep patterns, how it makes you less able uh, uh, to function, uh, uh, and um, how it uh, just sort of marginally takes away some of your abilities as a human. And I, so I was going to present you these peer-reviewed studies and going to uh, just lead you down these scientific uh, uh, doors that would open and show you the negative effects. However. I thought perhaps Sunday morning wasn't the best time for that. So instead, I'm going to read to you the Oompa Loompa song uh, from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So, um, you may know the story. Uh, Mike TV is a little obsessed with TV. Um, and uh, uh, something happens to him. I'm not going to spoil the story. Uh, but Roald Dow writes this poem about, my, uh, um, about the Oompa Loompa's condemnation of uh, my TV. Um, uh, I'm not going to dance and I'm not going to sing it, uh, uh, but we hopefully you'll enjoy it. The most important thing we've learned, so far as children are concerned, 
is never, never let them near your television set. Or better still, just don't install the idiotic thing at all. In almost every house we've been, we've watched them gaping at their screen. Do you notice the irony of looking at this on YouTube while I'm reading this? But uh, that's not lost on me. They loll and slop and lounge about and stare until their eyes pop out. Last week in someone's place we saw a dozen eyeballs on the floor. They sit and stare and stare and sit until they're hypnotised by it, until they're absolutely drunk with all the shocking ghastly junk. Oh yes, we know it keeps them still. They don't climb out the windowsill. They never fight or punch or kick. They'd leave you free to cook the lunch and wash the dishes in the sink. But do you ever stop to think, to wonder just exactly what this does to your beloved tot? It rots the senses in the head. It kills imagination dead. It clogs and clutters up the mind. It makes a child so dull and blind. He can no longer understand a fantasy of fairyland. His brain becomes as soft as cheese. His powers of thinking rust and freeze. He cannot think. He only sees. And uh, that seems to me a, a, a great summary of actual scientific fact that TV watching uh, can be bad for us. Who would have thought? Watching and consuming media on all the different screens we've got um, easily lead us to become docile. We become consumers where we just receive information and entertainment. We become uncritical. We believe what we see on the TV. We think what we are presented with is the truth. We become image conscious and the appearance of things becomes more important than the internal aspects. We become uh, limited in our, in our attention span. If we watch all the flashing images on our TV and on our phone, uh, we have these, uh, uh, we, we are trained to think in small parcels so that we find it difficult to concentrate for long periods of time on any one subject. And we are spoon-fed other people's imagination, we are spoon-fed other people's opinions, and we are spoon-fed other people's prejudices. Put your hand up, and you can do it online uh, and in the, uh, uh, in the hall. Put your hand up if you have read a physical book without pictures this week. Excellent. A couple of kids are like, oh, I, I may have watched a lot of TV, but the school has made me read as well. Excellent. Put your hands down. Reading requires quiet, requires solitude, requires self-motivation. You can sit back and let the TV wash over you, but a book requires you to be alert and attentive. It requires deliberate thought. You need to understand what is going on. Like the TV gives you a recap every so often, but a book you need to pay attention to. And you need your imagination. You need to, uh, in your brain, conjure up images of what is happening uh, uh, on the, in the book. I don't think it's an accident that God did not give his followers a TV show. He didn't give us an internet web page to visit. Jesus didn't come in uh, the year 2000 
because it wouldn't help things like that. God's preserved his word in written form. And this written form causes us to thoughtfully engage with it, causes us to uh, engage with it with our hearts and minds, rather than for it to just flow over us unthinking. We need to prayerfully digest the contents. And some of us hopefully do dust off our Bibles. Some of us hopefully do open up the much neglected app on our phone. And when we do so, it's really easy to go to the easier bits. Perhaps some of the stories in the Gospels and uh, perhaps the Psalms. Uh, these things that you can read in a bite-sized chunk. And you don't have to think about it much other than, oh, isn't Jesus nice? Or, oh, I like that poem. The thing is, you may not have noticed, but I have called our church to read through Paul's letters in 90 days. There would have been a lot easier subjects we could have covered and we have read through other stuff, but Paul's letters are some of the highest summits of our scripture. And I do wonder how we're doing with that. I wonder who of us can sort of uh, shyly agree with the Apostle Peter because the Apostle Peter had an opinion on the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Peter says this, uh, that the Apostle Paul writes things that are hard to understand. You can get this sense, can't you, that Peter, the fisherman, kind of struggled with this brainiac Apostle Paul and what he had to write. And so we avoid reading some of his letters because they are difficult work. And we allow Netflix to automatically queue up uh, another episode of our favourite sitcom. And as we think on these things, I just want to make Paul's letters a little bit more inviting. I want them to be somewhere that we seek out rather than avoid. In these times of distress, in these times of isolation, in these times of worry and not knowing what the future holds, in these times when the media will speculate all sorts of futures, I long for us to be helped by the Apostles' substantial and significant words. I long for us to be made substantial believers where we are mature and grounded in our faith and we are not tossed about by the winds of change and media speculation. If you've got a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1. It says this in Romans chapter 1 verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness, how I constantly remember you. Everyone say remember. Remember. In my prayers, I remember you at all times, and I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you. Everyone say long. Long. 
I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Everyone say mutually. Mutually. And everyone say encouraged. Encouraged. Already you pronounced uh, more syllables than regular daytime TV. We'll have you done. Well done. Paul was once a famous Christian killer. And now he writes words of wisdom to a European city that if the South Terminal was open, you could fly to in a couple of hours. So it's not far away. His letters cover some of the most incredible heights and depths of thoughts about Jesus. Uh, Paul's writings tend to be at the middle of seismic changes in church history. When something really big theologically kicks off, it is often Paul's writing that at the root of it. The church fathers Oregon, Irenaeus and Augustine all made a big deal of what Paul wrote because the implications of his words were massive. They had to fight off heresy, they had to encourage flagging, uh, persecuted, struggling Christians and uh, uh, lead people wisely into what was right and wrong. And Paul's words were at the middle of those things. Martin Luther, the uh, sort of, uh, um, sort of the, the main man of the Reformation, uh, really struggled with Romans chapter 1. Um, and, and he writes about it a bit. And then uh, he says of Romans chapter 1 this later. This, that place in Paul, was for me truly the gate to paradise. I wonder if you can say that about Romans 1. I wonder if you have such familiarity with the scriptures that this part of scripture is something that excites you, that you even know what Luther's talking about. Before dealing with the clever sounding words of uh, Paul, I just want to have a look at this moment that we've looked at. This introduction in Romans just says he has a big love for believers. He has a big love for believers that he's never met in a city uh, far away, in the capital city of the world at the time. He says he thanks God for them, he thinks about them, and he prays for them. Can you hear the affection and the uh, passion he has for these Roman Christians? He longs to meet them for the first time. I wonder if you've encountered and heard of Christians elsewhere and you long to meet them. Perhaps you long to meet the uh, Macedonian Christians that we try and publicise what's going on with them. Or the Haitian uh, orphans that we support or uh, the uh, Zambian Christians that we plough money to in Africa. I wonder if you have a heart for them. Because Paul has a heart for these Roman Christians. And he longs for them to be mutual encouragement, for him to help them and for them to help him. Last month, most sporting things were cancelled. Um, and lots of big sporting events with audiences. Uh, the audiences were stopped coming in 
If you have a look at football, it's a, a much reduced spectacle as the stands don't have all the fans singing and shouting in them. But the French, God love the French, uh, they held the biggest annual sporting event in the world and they were like, we only stop for world wars, essentially. Um, and so the Tour de France went ahead and I never thought they would get approval that somewhere, somewhere we go like this risk assessment is just does my head in. We just can't do it. But Tour de France went ahead to 176 riders from all around the world. Can you imagine the social distancing and the masks and the hand gel involved in that and all their support teams? They cycled over 2,000 miles around French terrain. Um, and everywhere they went, this happened. People cheered them on. Again, this isn't actually a picture from this year, but uh, everywhere you went, you're like, how much social distancing is going on there? I'm not too sure what is going on, uh, but they had no massive outbreaks of uh, corona, it was wonderfully controlled. But there's this wonderful thing about the Tour de France, is that you get to almost touch your heroes. I mean, you can, uh, but then you're probably bundled out of black by the, uh, uh, the, police, the uh, French gendarmes or something. Um, but uh, you can get so close. And what do these guys do? If they were football fans, they would be shouting abuse and saying horrible things about their mums. Uh, but here, they say, come on, we want you to go. You can do it up these hills, down these hills. Uh, across these plains, and they cheer them on with everything they have. And did you know there is something exciting and helpful about being cheered on? I wonder if you've ever been cheered on, whether it's by your immediate family or friends or colleagues, where they said, come on, you can do it. And when that happens, something in you means, uh, causes you to say, I'm not doing this just for myself, I'm doing it for other people too. Uh, when uh, we cheer on a kid at sports day, it's not just, oh, I want to be the best. It's my parents want me to be the best. My granny and uncle are also cheering. I want them to join with me in the pleasure of uh, winning. This well-known sporting phenomenon of cheering people on is what Paul's talking about at the beginning of Romans. We all missed Big Church Day out, didn't we, this year? Um, Paul explains that he yearns to meet these guys in person. And I think there's something to be said for meeting people in person. God bless YouTube and everything else, but there is something about coming together physically. And he says, I want to use my strengths to educate and encourage you. I want to help you in your walk with Jesus. I want you to help, I want to help you love him more. I want to help you understand what he's done for you more. I want to help you understand the implications of what it means to live out a life of a believer. You're at the centre of empire. You're at the centre of all sorts of power. You're at the centre of all sorts of wealth. You are at the centre in Rome. Uh, where all sorts of, where the pressures of life are extraordinary. And I want to help you there. And then he says this extraordinary thing. He says, and you're going to help me too. There's going to be a transaction. There's going to be an exchange. 
He will cheer on the Roman Christians and they, in turn, will spur him on too. He will say, well done, and they will say it back to him. Friends, we're not dealing with high-minded theological concepts here. This is simple truth that we should encourage one another, that we should care about one another, that we should just simply copy Paul in helping each other out. If we have been saved by Jesus, if he is our Lord and Saviour, we are in his family. It's not an opt-in. It's not like the track and trace box uh, of the uh, form where you can tick it or cross it. Yeah, I might be fancy that. It is part and parcel of that salvation. And as family, you have responsibilities. You may have been taught that in your own families, or it may have been a loose congregation of people that then went to the four corners of the earth. But in this family, we have a responsibility to look out for each other. We have a responsibility to care for one another. And the Spirit is in us, not just to tell us when we're wrong, when we're doing things we shouldn't, but the Spirit is there to help us help others. The Spirit is there to empower us to serve others. We are to use whatever gifts, whatever skills, whatever passions we have to do good to the people around us. Listen to this passage in Galatians chapter 6. It says this in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, and the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, and the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Everyone say all. All. Do good to all people. And then he says this, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. If you stand and do my sign language for today, so as far as I can see, it's a finger pointing like that. And then you sort of bring down your fist and then suddenly, it looks like just at the last moment you, you pull out your finger and you hit your finger like that. So it's like that. Everyone do that. That is British Sign Language for especially. And we are to do good especially to the family of believers. Well done. Some of you are entering that with more gusto than others. Please be seated. Um, so I'm asking, how do you deliberately and skillfully encourage us here. It's good to do good out there. We are not saying that you shouldn't bless your neighbours, your people at work, that you would do good to whoever you come across. But Paul says in Galatians that that should happen especially here. This should be like the highest concentration of do-gooders in Bugrish. Last one.
church. They may look like they're not taking things in, but when we come here, it is really good, and especially perhaps before uh, this virus, that they looked out for each other, that they played with one another, that they looked forward to coming together. Um, this may not be true of all kids, but my kids certainly. Uh, the prospect of coming to church, the idea of seeing their friends at church was good. And once they were here, they would show them the latest game they'd been playing, what they'd been up to. Um, and it was really helpful that kids encourage kids at church. Being a Christian is hard work. Going to church every Sunday can sometimes be a little bit of a drag. But it is fantastic that the kids look out for each other and encourage each other and make church a little more fun than it would be if I just uh, occupied all the time here. And if you're an adult and you don't know where to start in being especially good to the family of believers, perhaps you should just copy the kids. Sit down next to someone and encourage them. Ask them how their week was. Uh, say something helpful to them. Smile. Smile when they uh, uh, say something good and congratulate them when they have good news. Uh, feel sorry for them when something bad has happened. It is not rocket science to show love. Our kids do it and the invitation is for the rest of us too. And then the second thing I want to focus on, as well as serving others, after we've preached and prophesied, after we've given out and encouraged, after we've laughed at each other's jokes and mourned with each other's losses, let others reply to you. It's a funny thing, but we can often miss the mutual encouragement because we are self-obsessed or that we don't value the breadth of gifts that the Spirit gives. We are not all the same, and so the mutual encouragement that goes on won't be exactly as we've sent out. You may be really good at one thing and think that's the most important way of loving someone else, but someone will respond differently. So if you are love-thinking and clever-speaking, someone can not be like that, but just love you practically, uh, emotionally, helpfully. If you are practical and someone brings you teaching, that is a sign of love too. When I speak on a Sunday, it is not just to tell you everything you need to know, it is because I'm trying to share a gift that I think God has given me. And uh, so you may prefer us to have just done messy church all the time where we just eat sweets and stuff. Uh, but there is a breadth to church. We're struggling to exercise that with all these restrictions. But let me encourage you to do so. And it's really good that Barry would uh, sort of welcome us in prayer. Um, and uh, uh, we had sort of struggles at the beginning, didn't we, Barry, to try and sort of get that working. And uh, other people have different abilities. So don't look down on someone because they have a different way of showing love to the ones you have, and receive it. So let us pay attention to the ways other people would mutually encourage us, even when it's not the, type, the same type 
of encouragement that we would necessarily choose. Do you want to have a bigger, bolder, rougher, tougher faith? If you do, serve and be served in this church. And so, as I close, I would encourage you just to be slightly Luddite. I'm not asking you to give up your Netflix subscriptions and turn off your Xbox ones. I'm not saying that you have to throw away your iPhone and get one of those uh, old Nokia bricks that you could kill a man with. Uh, but I am saying all that tech can be harmful to us and we need to spend time in God's word. And the other thing that we drew out from Romans 1 is that we're in church to serve and be served. So look out for both chances. Please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you have spoken that men through the ages have written it down and that we can now read what you have written. God, I pray that you'd help us be good at reading your word, that you would build us up through it, that it would be helpful to our walk with you. Lord God, and I just pray as we consider church, as it is strange and different. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us be really good at bringing our gifts to encourage and uh, uh, spur other people on. And that we would be good at being cheered on ourselves. We would be good at receiving the service of others. Lord God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.